0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. I am your host, Hewitt Tomlin. Um, This time, I want to give a big shout-out to Coach Anthony Paroli and his entire staff at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Today is Monday morning, and uh, yesterday, Sunday, January uh, 24th, we saw Tampa Bay go up to Green Bay and actually win the NFC division. They're going to the Super Bowl. So, you know, for folks who don't watch football, this may not be too exciting for you, but, you know, James and I are football guys. Most people here at the team Builder office are football guys, and the whole office was buzzing this morning because this is the first time a Team Builder NFL team has made it to the Super Bowl. We are so, so excited, so congrats to Coach Paroli and all those folks over there. Today's guest is Leanne Blinn. Uh, Leanne is on the podcast because she is just an accomplished and respected and experienced strength coach. She is currently the director of performance at Arizona State University. However, Leanne has a really diverse background. She owned her own sports performance facility with her husband for many, many years. Um, She worked with Charles Poliquin. Uh, Again, not only worked under him, she worked with him. And she was also a high school strength coach at one point. So she's full of perspective. I was actually pleasantly delighted Uh, when Leanne opened up about her opinions regarding the uh, wage gap for strength coaches, uh, especially at the college level. Um, She has some other opinions about associations and governing bodies, Um, and I really, really like that when coaches are willing to, you know, speak up and, you know, especially a coach like Leanne who has years and years of experience in the industry. Um, I really want to get insights from those folks because they've kind of seen the evolution of the industry on. And then towards the end, we talk a little bit about what does it mean when people say that strength and conditioning is a young industry? Uh, Where's the room for growth uh, when it comes to being a professional strength and conditioning coach? So those are some of the things we cover. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I hope you uh, join us and uh, tell me how much you enjoy this podcast. So Leanne, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us from the road. You're traveling right now, uh, training teams and competition. That's kind of unusual. It's, uh, well, so how did this happen, uh, your, your current circuit?
2: So
1: uh, hockey, I'm with uh, Arizona State Hot Men's Ice Hockey. Um, and as you know, they're an independent. And they ended up having a scheduling agreement this year with the Big Ten. Um, mm-hmm. That scheduling agreement was all games on the road. So we had 28 games on the road. Yeah, <laughs> which is a lot. Um, so this is our second segment of being on the road. Our first segment was 36 days um, and then we're home for 11 over Christmas. And then we're back out. And this is the tail end of our second segment. Uh, we play this weekend, Thursday, Friday here in Minnesota and uh, head home Saturday for a couple weeks. Uh, Very break. cool. Yeah.
0: So I'm, I'm kind of curious. You're the director of performance uh, for ASU. H- how does ASU decide who you travel with?
1: Uh, it's honestly, it really just depends on the sport itself and depends on a little bit really more of the hierarchy as it goes. Um, Mm. and purpose, um, is there really a true purpose of a strength coach traveling on the road? Um, I do a lot on the road with hockey, whether it's, um, a normal quote, normal year, um, of being on the road of five days, you know, a lot of East coast travel or with this one. So we're training on the road. So it really depends on what the purpose, the rhyme, or reason is and, you know, the why of having a strength coach on the road. Um, so not every team is going to travel with a strength coach. Um, if your athletes are going to train, if you're going to do something with them, take care of nutrition, there's just a mul- multitude of factors of, of, that go into who travels and who doesn't.
0: Yeah. Do you enjoy traveling? Does it get old after a while?
1: Uh, I th- I don't mind it. I like it. Um, you know, I like to see – you know, cause there's a, a lot of stuff we do leading up to it. So I don't mind traveling at all. This year is a little bit harder, um, being, you know, gone for 36 days and then 24 days and another 24 days. Usually it's like, Hey, you're gone a weekend, then you're home a weekend, then you're gone a weekend and, you know, yeah. gone for five days, four or five days. Um, so it's, it's just been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, you know, I don't have kids, but I have five, five rescue animals at home and a husband. Wow. At home. <laughs> yeah. So, it's Wow. Nice.
0: <laughs> I have one rescue animal and it's exhausting. I'm just always apologizing for her bad behavior. And then I scapegoat the fact that she's from Craigslist. I'm like, I'm sorry. She's, you know, she's she didn't have a normal up, upbringing. Well, we,
1: we just rescued a, uh, a pug from Craigslist. The black pugs are pug passed in, uh, back in April last year. And my husband wanted another pug. So I'm like, I'm not spending. I'm not shopping for an animal. Like, I'll find one that needs a home, and that's what we've always done. So Yeah. But um, her behavior is not the best, I will yeah.
0: say. That. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of coaching.
1: Yes, it does. It does. It does.
0: Yeah. So I was doing my research uh, on your bio, obviously, prior to this episode, and you've really come full circle in your career. It seemed like you took a traditional route through the, the collegiate system. And then I saw that you at one point you owned a performance training facility. You also, you know, coached at a high school, and then now you're back in, you know, a, a power five college. So I I, I, didn't, I don't know where to begin on this. Right? Um, I, I guess I wanted to ask first about your private sector experience, especially as a business owner, because, you know, most people, most people I have on the podcast are one or the other, you know, they're they're in the college ranks or they're, you know, solely in performance, uh, private performance. But what was that experience like as a business owner? How did you arrive at that, at that point in your career?
1: So the reason why I got into it was, I, uh, so... I have to go back up just a little bit so you kind of understand it, kind of see where i was at. I was in the college for 10 years, basically. Um, I started in 1995 as a grad assistant, and then by the year 2005, 10 years later – My husband's kind of like enough's enough. Like you're an assistant strength coach. You're always going to be an assistant. You know, there haven't been very many women in the beginning and in the early stages of college Mm -hmm. athletics, it was Ray Ellsworth and, you know, Andrea Hootie and um, you know, a handful of others, Angie Brambley, like there were a, a small group of us. And at that time there was no separation. It was, you were strength conditioning, you were one department, you were one performance department, you work football, you worked everything. So, 99% of the time, with the exception of Meg Stone, you know, she's the only
0: football female strength coach out there at a mm. Power Five. Um,
1: it, it always would go to the male, you know.
0: The inclusion of football kind of made it exclusively a male position.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, which for me, I've always worked men's sports. Like, I've always worked, you know, I mean, I'm not the that I'm not a normal female, I'll just say that in terms of, you know, just my demeanor and, and the way I am. Um, and so my husband, long story short, my husband kind of said, okay, enough's enough. He's like, you're not gonna get a head job, like it's slim and none. And At that time, all these private facilities were popping up. It was the Velocities, the Parises, the, you know, um, and I had met Charles Poliquin at the time. And mm-hmm. um, and I met Art McDermott way back um, when I was at Boston College and it he was he was wanted and i met charles poliquin here and i worked for him a little bit at arizona state um not arizona state but in his private facility and go visit him and stuff and he wanted to open up a facility in massachusetts with art mcdermott so they opened a facility it was Poliquin Performance center then it ended up turning into parisi speed school then their backer um, of the facility flaked basically so that facility closed um, unfortunately, but it was, it was a great thing. Parisi was awesome. You know, I mean, Charles Poliquin and his methods were great, but it's just, it's a huge undertaking to, to have a facility. So, um, and at the time, the reason why I went into the private sector was because as an assistant strength coach in the, way back then, I'm like, okay, I'm making $48,000 a year. You know, it's, it's not a lot of money. Like that's, you know, it's average money. It's average salary, whatever, but I've been in it for 10 years. And I'm never, I wanted to be a director. So the only way to really become a director, and at that time, it was kind of like chasing the money a little bit. Um, I took a $70,000 a year job, became a director of Pollock Performance Center, then Speed school So it was kind of, it was one of those things that those, in in your career, you know, what do you do? Where do you go? You know, what's the next step? So that was kind of that next step of going into, you know, being a director, if I wanted to be a director, because... Again, being a director at a power five school as a female, slim and none um, yeah. at that time. So um, that place went under um, because of the, the backer kind of flaked. And my husband was like, all right, he's like, we're staying in Massachusetts. So we went back to Massachusetts. Um, that's where the facility was. And he's, he's like, why don't we just open our own place? He's an athletic trainer that does a sports medicine for the PBR, the Riders so we're a good tandem from athletic training standpoint and you know they're broke Mm -hmm. get some and you know and i put it back together in terms of you know getting them stronger healthier faster and all that so we opened a business and and went from there um the biggest mistake a lot of people make when they open a business is they go make it too big They start, they have this grandiose idea of like, Mm. I need 20,000 square feet. I need top of the line equipment. I need, I need the best of the best. I need all the bells
0: and whistles. I need the sign that lights up on the front. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Like all that crap. And I will tell you it's crap. And it's a hundred percent about the relationships you built a hundred percent. I mean, we had an unbelievable business and a business model. We started with 1500 square feet in a, in a soccer Indoor soccer facility, and then we went to 3,000 square feet. Then, um, and that was within six months, and then we added on another 3,000 square feet. But it was the relationships that we made with the people around us. I did adult boot camps, I did, um, you know, trained athletes, I did private stuff, but I like the group stuff because. I can't stand the one-on-one babysitting or mommy and daddy telling me my kid's going to be the next Tom Brady. So he needs, he's eight years old and needs private training. I'm like, your kid doesn't need private training at eight years old. It's, it's performance training. Like it's not skill specific, you know, like your could be a kid. Um, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we had it for six years. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that I felt like I was so much into the business aspect of it. And I just wanted to coach. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to, like, I'm a coach. Like, I'm a strength coach. I love being on the floor. And my husband did 99% of the business side of it. But I felt like I was getting pulled more and more away from the actual coaching. So one day I went to my husband and I said, "Um, there's a high school job at Franklin High School um, in Massachusetts, which was like two exits down from where we were. I said, I'm applying for it. He's like, you're applying for it. He's like, well, how much does it pay? I said, "Uh, $1,200 sports season. And he looked at me like I had five heads. Like you have a business, you can coach, you can do anything you want, but you're going to a high school for $1,200 a sports season. I'm like, yep. I'm like, it's going to get me, it's going to put me back into coaching. At least I know on Monday, Wednesday, Friday for two hours in the afternoon, I'm going to go coach. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, it turned into so much more than, than just that, you know, it wasn't just a dollar amount, you know, it was, There was so much more
0: to it. So that's um, kind of how I got
2: that's- for the private sector.
0: I'm sure this high school was, like, did they realize they struck a gold mine in someone with, like, collegiate sports performance private facility experience coming in to train their high school athletes?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I had – so Brad Sidwell was the athletic director. Um, his, he's, he was basically an NFL brat. His dad, you know, coached in the NFL, played in the NFL. He – Coach Sidwell was a um, – he was the athletic director and football coach. He basically brought me in to work football. They uh-huh. had – a private facility that would do stuff out for their high school before, but the private facility there that they had just cared about the, the high-end athletes, the top athletes, and, you know, yeah. sucking them out of the high school and bring them into their private facility. And I wasn't like that. I'm like, I want to coach. Like, I want to build this thing. So we built this program that was only football to 600 kids in my summer program, and I had to hire assistants for all summer. We would go from six to two. Um, My after-school program during the school year sold out faster than a Taylor Swift concert. Like, our (laughs) administrative assistant, Sue, she'd be like, "Um, Leanne, you have a waiting list of of, uh, you know, 100 kids wanting to get into your program after school. And and it wasn't just because I was a college strength coach. It was 100% the relationships that I built with those kids. I didn't care, and I still don't care to this day if you are the first one off the bench, the last one off the bench, or never off the bench. I'm always going to coach you with the same amount of respect as I'm going to coach that superstar. And nine times out of ten, that superstar is a pain in the ass anyway. <laughs> a little hard to coach, you know, because they think they know it all. But, um, yeah. yeah, but we had – I, I do like, and I probably sound excited talking about Franklin high school. And I do kick myself in the ass some days for leaving the high school. My husband kicks myself, kicks me in the ass for leaving the high school setting. And um,
2: yeah.
1: there's, there's so much you can do now. And there's, and there's so many more high schools um, and programs that are, that are adding things, you know, adding yeah. conditioning. It's awesome.
0: Well, hey, let's get into kind of a tough topic that arises pretty often in the high school Facebook group. Um, it's the topic of high schools utilizing private sports performance facilities versus the the strength coach in-house. So I, I think probably the, con- the consensus view is that if a school does not have anyone, a private facility helping out is better than nothing. Yeah. But having a full-time qualified, certified quality strength coach in house is better than bringing in the outside sports performance facility. But there's so many nuances to that. Do you have any opinions or views on, on situations? Cause most high schools in the U S don't have a, a, a dedicated strength coach.
1: No, it, it's becoming more and more prevalent, you know, with the, with the national high school strength conditioning association and rich gray and Gary Schofield not, and, and all that they've done um, for the high school organization and trying to drive, um, drive strength coaches to the high schools and educating. It's all about educating your athletic directors, educating mm-hmm. you know your superintendents of schools, you know, as far as why it's important.
0: You know, That's you kind know. of one of the primary pillars of the NHS SCA. I mean, it, it, it is for the development of high school strength coaches, but the bigger picture is as an, as an organization that the whole point of getting organized is to go out and be effective communicators for the position to high schools who don't have it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's, I think it's growing. I think it's going to get better. So when I owned my business, I still owned my business while I worked at Franklin high school mm-hmm. and I worked a couple of high schools too. So Holliston high school, Holliston high school had a great tradition with their football program. Um, as far as super bowl, you know, in Massachusetts, you know, as mm-hmm. far as going. Um, but I would never, and I trained a lot of Holliston high school football kids. But I, they also had their own program. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they all did their own high school program. And then I had kids that would come to me. And my philosophy is that I am never going to take a kid away from their high school program, especially if they do have someone that is a qualified, certified strength conditioning coach that knows what they're doing. Mm. I never wanted to be that business that was like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, just just, just pay me money and come in here. Like, I mean, our program, we didn't charge a lot of money. You know, at all. Like I wasn't I wasn't really in it for, my, for the money. It was like to educate and grow, um, you know, and, and to make life is, is more than just about sports. And 75 percent of kids drop out of organized sports by the time they get into high school. And one in two hundred, or it's, it's one in one in fifty thousand, or one in sixty thousand now that make it into a D one college level and get a scholarship, and the numbers just keep going down and down from there. It's one in two hundred fifty thousand that make it to the professional level. So mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things. Like it, it's more than just it's life after sports too, um,
2: for yeah. me. Yeah,
1: but I do think. Go back to your question. I hundred percent think that. Um, it, facilities need to know their role when it comes into when it comes into going into high schools if they if they have a qualified strength conditioning coach try to work with them don't bash them because Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the way that their profession is going to get any better it's not the way it's not the way to grow our
0: profession or grow the role we do yeah, I've had some experiences myself where, you know, a private training facility was probably a little bit overzealous and looking to make a presence in schools where you know there was a strength coach, and I've had situations where the facility used Team Builder and the strength coach at the school used Team Builder, and you know they were kind of looking to us to play a role in their lobbying, and uh, my instinct is to default to lobbying for the strength coach in the role at the school. Yeah. Um, that's just kind of been. Our default setting, if you will, Um, but I've seen it come up a few times. I mean, sometimes conflict arises in those situations.
1: Yeah, and and it's hard. Sometimes you get kids that they want the one-on-one attention. So um, here in Arizona, I'm in Minnesota right now, but basically being back in Arizona, I've helped Mm -hmm. out. You know, did a lot with Steve Schween when he was um, the regional director uh, for Mm -hmm. Arizona, and like I would go and talk to high schools and high school programs and everything. And it's amazing how some schools have a hard time with the private sectors, um, you know, private businesses, because again, for them, it's their livelihood and it's their making money and they thrive and they, and they, Basically, go after the parents of the kids. They're like, "Hey, your kid's going to be a D one athlete. We want your kid. We can give them private one on one. Your high school's not giving them private, you know, private." Yeah, or, don't
0: squench the opportunity for your kid's career. We can make the most of it. Yeah.
1: Of yeah, like they just they just try to you know put crap in the parents' head. Like you know, hey, yeah, you're, you're you have a strength coach of the high school, but the strength coach of the high school has to deal with six hundred kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, at, when I was at Franklin High School. I put to, put together different programs based on, I hate the word sports specific because I think sports specific is a garbage term people use to sell shit for. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say, but I also did things that were okay. What what's injuries? What's based around injuries? What what's what's highly seen in women's basketball or volleyball? Okay, ACLs. So there's things that I would put into those programs to give them a, to give the parents like a. And the coach is like a, a sense of like, hey, I'm trying to individualize this to some degree based around mm-hmm. injuries more so than sports, sport specificity, because I think sports mm-hmm. specificity, you want to become a better baseball player, you get, a, you know, better hitter, whatever it is, go practice your sport. It's not going to happen in the weight room. So all yeah. the garbage that, you know, oh, I came up with these, this exercise that mimics, a, it's garbage, but,
0: you know, yeah. Let's let's talk about Charles Poliquin. I, I, he's so interesting to me. I, I started listening and, and reading and watching him, him posthumously, you know, because I, I was just kind of new to the field when when he was really doing his thing. Um, he's a pretty eccentric guy. And you know, from watching some of his talks, like on YouTube, and, and uh, for instance, um, he, he kind of like delves into a little bit of what we would call like the influencer space today. You know, that, like, like you might see people, you know, life hack stuff on Instagram. I'm talking about like waking up at three in the morning and eating caviar first thing, you know, like he's, he's kind of full of those things, yet he's like a giant uh, in, in the industry. What was your experience with, with Charles like and, and, and how did that go?
1: Um, Charles is great. Um, one of the smartest guys I've ever met in my life. Like he'd make you feel stupid sometimes being around him, like all these things that he could pull out of his head, all these studies, all this relevant stuff. Um, so being around him was sometimes like a killer to, to your ego a little bit when you think, you know, something and then he pulls something out and, you know, completely dispels what you're talking about. Um, but he's he he was a he was a smart guy. Like he, his some of his training techniques were a little bit different. I think they work for some people. Um, At others, they don't. Um, I still to this day do a lot of pairing of exercises. It the A's and B's. I don't necessarily do the way he did his training from torso one day, so chest and back. He had a bodybuilding kind of mentality of like mm-hmm. back one legs one day, arms one day. Um, okay, that stuff's good in the off-season sometimes, or if you have like a high, high, high-end athlete that you just need to change things up a little bit, or if it's an off-season, um, you know, if you have a kid, his German volume training was awesome if you had a kid that needs to put weight on, you mm. know, his tempos and, and things like that. I still use tempos to this day um, with, with rope, but, but there's always little bits and pieces that I still throw in, um, you know, and, and periodize throughout throughout training cycles for our athletes. So, but just, <laughs>
0: He, he seemed like he was a jack of all trades and like kind of a master of a decent amount of trades as well. You know, he didn't really specialize into a specific group of athletes or form of training. He kind of spanned the spectrum. Did he just have the like the mental capacity to to do that? Was that just his personality? How would you define his his coaching career?
1: Um. Yeah, I, you said it well, I and mean, you said it great. You know, jack of all trades, master of some. Like he could look at someone and basically fix or accelerate or accentuate whatever he needed from a, from a high end top level athlete. And he's done it. He worked with football players, with throwers, with skiers, like he's just had a wealth of knowledge. Um, and he was, he was great with those high end athletes. He was awesome with them.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so now you're at Arizona state director of performance. You're, you're in the role. You've done a lot of different roles in a lot of different settings. How would you kind of, uh, describe your place now as a director? Is this something that you consider the pinnacle of your career? Um, are there other aspirations you know for yourself personally? I mean, how do you see yourself now after your 20-year career?
1: Um, you know, for me, I've seen a lot of good things in our profession. I've seen a lot of crappy things in our profession. Um, I, I've dealt with a lot of things in our profession from, you know, being a female in the profession to... Working with multiple sports to the mindset of, you know, hey, baseball players can't lift overhead or this, this sport can't train or shouldn't train or, hey, I've got this great program from this professional athlete, um, their personal trainer you know, has their program, whatever. And, you know, mm-hmm. now to the, all this technologies that come in and, and, you know, Oh, well, you know, they're, they're in the red zone. So the coach sorry they can't practice today. Like they, you know, like, so, so there's a lot of things that evolve and there's always going to be little things that you're dealing with, you know, the next latest and greatest. Um, you know, for me, I just want, I want the best sports performance staff in the country. That's what I want. I want mm-hmm. a sports performance staff that's happy that works hard. That wants to be in the profession. That wants to be a strength coach and will do anything for their teams that they that they need to. Um, and within our department, um, that's what's important to me. Um, my my staff knows that I back them a hundred percent in any in ninety nine point nine percent of situations. Um, it can be hard sometimes, you know, as a strength coach, it's like, okay, who do you report to? Do you report to your head coach, your sport coach that you work with yeah. do You report to the director of performance? But if I don't, who am I hired by? So I think there's a lot of things that need to still evolve in our profession. Um, but I think like, I, I have an awesome staff. Like I, I'm, beyond grateful for our staff and everything they do, especially with me being on the road um, and them, you know, covering things and, and giving them other additional responsibilities and stuff. So um, I, I'm happy with where I'm at. Um, I love men's ice hockey. Our coaching staff is the best coaching staff I've ever been around. Um, you know, I've been around a couple coaches um, in, in, in my time of 20 years, but I will say Coach Powers and his whole staff, like it's it's, it's an unbelievable group group of people yeah. from athletic trainer to equipment manager to everybody so it's it's fun to be
2: around
0: yeah I, I i presume for you at this point it's less about the job title or maybe the logo that you wear but mostly the the situation that you find yourself in in terms of the support from the sports coaches the ad's that that kind of stuff that's more important right
1: 100 100 percent. i mean i could go i could go back to high school tomorrow and be happy where i'm at at high school like i could you know, yeah, I'm at a power five school. Yeah, that's great. Um, but the grass isn't always greener either. Mm. You know? um, you know, some people just look at the logo. Hey, I got to get to that power five school. This is, I got to get to Tennessee, Alabama, wherever, Kentucky, like Clemson, whatever. It's just, they're chasing the logo and, and it's, it's more than just the logo. It's the people you're around, the people you coach, it's people you work with every day. You know, you don't want to go into a job every day, hating it. You know, I, I, I go to work every day. It's not work to me. Like my husband is like, why do you stay there so long? I love, not that I don't love you and don't want to be around you. I just, you know, love people I work with and, you know, have great athletes and, um, you know, just, just great people to be around.
0: Yeah. It, It seems like you've generated quite a few opportunities for yourself between the colleges and the Midwest and your performance facility in the Northeast, you were at app state, you know, you're in Arizona state. Hey, what would you credit those opportunities uh, to? Um, is it, you know, your network that you've built over the years? Is it your resume? I mean, what, what really has opened those, those spots up?
1: Honestly, I think it's network, um,
0: network, really
1: it's a hundred percent network. It's, um, you know, I started out with, uh, I blame him. No, 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 no. I don't blame him. <laughs> I'm happy he got me into the profession. Dan Dalrymple, um, you know, got at Miami, Ohio when I was in Athletic uh-huh. Um
0: He's with the New Orleans Saints now, yeah. right? He's, yeah. so he's
1: been there for a long time. Um, yeah. So I credit him for getting me into the profession and just teaching me in the beginning. And, you know, it really was about going out and meeting people and creating connections with people. And it's so much easier now with zoom, with internet, it's so much easier than, than it was back then, you know, back then it was, there was no internet, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's handwritten letters. It's, you know, the reason why I got my first job at Nevada Reno was because I was looking for, um, a grad position, GA position. And I applied at Nevada, and, and Coach Jones is like, Well, I don't have a GA position. I don't even have an assistant. I don't have anything. And I went out there to go ski, and I said, Hey, I know you don't have anything. Um, I said, guys, can I come meet you? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just come up and, um, you know, we'll talk and, you know, talk shop. And a year later, he found me at um, Northern Arizona. I was a GA. Hey, I have a job for you. Like, and he remembered me a year from a year prior to, you know, just because I took the time to go meet with him and talk with him and talk about the profession and learn what he was doing. And yeah. I think that's something that needs to happen more. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely the network and, and going to conferences, listening to podcasts, you know, like, like team builder podcasts, like, getting something out of it, like listen to a podcast. And then if you're someone who wants to be in the profession or accelerate your profession, um, or move on, reach out to the person that you listen to in the podcast and say, Hey, I listen to your podcast. Can I pick your brain for five minutes or whatever? Don't just call the, you know, talk, t- shoot the crap, you know, you, you call and actually call and ask questions and things like that. And I think you, you do a lot more. Um, you know, way back, um, Ray Ellsworth, who was at a and she came out to Arizona State back in 03 or o4 and she came out and visited, and she wanted to learn what we we're doing at at ASU back then with Joe Ken and the tier system. And she came out, and we've created a friendship ever since. And um, I talked to her probably once every month or every month, you know, it's, it's one yeah. of those, but the more connections that you make, yeah, it, it's crazy. You know, the, the other thing too is the amount of people that have come and gone in our profession is kind of crazy.
0: Mm. What do you mean by that? Uh, people who, who like, quit or retire, change retired, change
1: careers? Like most people don't retire from strength conditioning. Most mm. people just get tired of the, yeah. the games and the, and, and just tired of the BS that, that goes on, you know, changing. Yeah. Uh, changing of coaches. And and that's one thing that that's that I struggle with in our profession is that now so many places you're tied to a coach. Um, it's mm-hmm. not just football anymore. I, I think it's done a lot for our profession, strength, conditioning, where football now doesn't necessarily rule the roost over every everyone, because it's always been, well, football football strength coach left. So now the rest of my strength coaches have left and now I get someone new and then, you know, it's constant turnover. So I think that they did a really great thing by separating out football from Olympic sports, but now Mm -hmm. it's kind of turned into, um, director of basketball director of, you know, baseball. So it's going, it's trickling into some other sports as well, which then you don't really have a department when that happens. So Mm -hmm that's, that's the catch 22 of it. You know, directors of basketball now are making really good money. There's some that are out there making 200, you know, 200 grand as a direct, as a director of basketball, they're working men's basketball and that's it, you know, and they're mm-hmm. making a hundred thousand dollars more than what the director of Olympic sports is making. So, um, yeah. there's, and you're not a, you're part of staff, you're part of that coaching staff, but you gotta be careful what you yeah. wish for. They get fired, you get fired. Um, so I think there's a, there's a little bit, there's a little bit that the the profession needs to change or figure out how they want to go and what they want to do.
0: Would it be fair to say that most Olympic or performance departments in general should have more autonomy within the athletic program than they do today? Just speaking broadly across the industry.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I do definitely think so.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it, you know, it helps to, you know, who you report to, the reporting lines. I think you need to have, um, me personally, I think the director of sports performance, the so your director of sports psychology, the director of sports nutrition, the director of sports medicine, all need to report to the same person from your mm. as your your direct report athletic director, um, because I think that helps having like one umbrella instead of an athletic director that reports that five sports report to and then your are you as a sports performance coach you know it's like okay if there's ever a conflict who is that athletic director or sport administrator who are they going to back they're going to back the sport coach or they're going to back a sport former coach and nine times out of ten they back the coach even if the sport performance coach or the athletic trainer was right, was right or is right so yeah. that's, the, that's the thing we get stuck with or in trouble with
0: yeah yeah um touching on the I guess the labor aspect of strength and conditioning. The industry is well known for um, tough pay, tough hours, um, and being really, really reliant on the athletic budget that is primarily funded by uh, sports, uh, sports boosters, and if you're at a big school, you know maybe other things come into play. Um, that makes for a tough conversation because you know you see some conditions where you want to see coaches have a little bit of a better quality of life, maybe get paid a little bit more. Actually, I could say certainly get paid more, um, but it's it's very reliant on uh, things that are out of control of the athletic department. Um, that's kind of just the way the systems come about, being that it's you know based in collegiate athletics. Um, do you see that getting better? Do you see any alternatives for helping sports performance departments have a little bit more autonomy financially speaking than having to rely on the the sports performance or or, or sports rather. It-
1: that's a tough one. Um,
0: It's so tough. I've thought about it a lot. I just don't see a lot of good alternatives because it comes down to money in the end and the money has to come from somewhere.
1: The money does have to come from somewhere. Um, But I think you need to have, you know, I think sometimes people forget about the support structure. So if you're going to build a house, you got to build a great foundation or it's going to crumble. So... To me, I think you need to, most coaches want consistency with their strength, with their strength coach and with their athletic trainer. What, what sometimes the coaches don't understand and our athletic departments sometimes don't understand is that people move on because they're, they're either treated like crap or they're not paid very well. Um, And, and I think that sport coaches need to understand that, okay, you're a sport coach, You make a six-figure salary. Your assistant, um, your first assistant, or your assistant head coach makes a six-figure salary. And then your assistant, your assistant coach, your third assistant or second assistant makes seventy-five thousand dollars a year. Okay, why why does that assistant coach make seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and your athletic trainer and your strength coach make forty? It makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like if you want them to be part of a program and be there then then you have to start paying these paying us better like you can't just say oh well it's you know it's, it's a place like ASU or power five school power five school should technically be your end game to some, to some degree it shouldn't be a stepping stone school it should be mm-hmm. it should be like I want to end up at Arizona State and I want to be at Arizona State you know whether it's a with soft, with softball or baseball or hockey or whatever, but you can go there and you can make a living. You know, why, why should, why should sports, former sports nutrition and athletic trainers not be able to make a living, but an assistant coach can make a living. So I I don't know. I I think that salaries do need to come up and I don't know who's, who's got to fight for us to, for that to happen. You know, I mean, people get paid, people get paid in football. You know, I get it. They generate way more money. There's a lot more at stake. I totally understand that a lot, way more at stake. Um, they generate a lot more money. I totally understand that. There's gotta be some give and take somewhere. Um, and yeah. a thought in a, in a well thought out thought process, not just a, well, because uh, thing.
0: Yeah. This has, has to be part of the allure of high school positions. I, there's plenty of high school coaches I've seen that have worked in college and worked at Exos and, Um, they're perfectly happy in a high school setting. I I also think there's a better viability at the high school level to pay coaches what they deserve to get paid. schools are uh, a social good it's a public resource that we really need them for society. Strength coaches at at high schools and public schools play a big role in that. Education academically is important. Physical education is certainly important. And teaching uh, life habits uh, for physical health and wellness this falls within the realm of of strength and conditioning coaches. That's kind of where I get a little bit of hope. It's at the high school level. Maybe, you know, that can be the source for providing, you know, the fair pay and the fair quality of life that coaches deserve at that level.
1: And there's, you know, I get starting out. I mean, my first job at Nevada, Reno, I made 18 grand. That was in 1996. That was my first job. I made 18 grand. It was a three quarter time position. I worked 60 hours a week. And then, in order for me to make up that other quarter time, I worked in the um, in the student rec center at night from six to ten at night, three or four days a week. So it's like you're burning the candle at both ends just to make money. It, grad school, the same thing. Grad school, I worked at a bar, you know, like just to make money. It's like when you when you go to school and you have student loans to pay, and you know you should be able to. Should be able to move on and feel comfortable getting a job and, and being able to, to make a living and, and be somewhat comfortable. I mean, you know, growth happens when you're uncomfortable, but at the same time, you know, after a couple of years, it's like, okay, enough's enough.
2: Um, yeah.
1: You know, and, and the hard thing in strength conditioning is. They pay those shitty salaries, the crappy salaries along the way, and people still take those jobs. It's the same with athletic training. I feel bad for athletic training right now. Athletic training, they're expecting you to have your master's degree. They moved it to a master's degree program, but the National Athletic Trainers Association has done nothing to increase salaries for athletic Mm -hmm. trainers. There's still salaries out there that are $30,000, $40,000 for an entry-level athletic trainer. You're asking me to get my master's degree? you know, go to school for five years and pay ungodly godly amount of school, but that's all you're going to pay. I don't know. It's the same with strength conditioning. Like someone has to step up um, whether it's a, you know, granted, I don't think that the NSCA, you know, has that or the CSCCA, somebody needs to step up and say, okay, let's figure out, you know, what's, what are you worth and what are these salaries? What, what should they be beyond just football? You know, we know, yeah. football's gonna, you know, again, the stakes are higher and, you know, there's a lot more to it, but to have, yeah. you know, all, you have five, you have strength, five strength coaches in football, and every single one of those five strength coaches in football makes a hell of a lot more than what a director of sports performance makes um, on the Olympic sports side ninety percent of the time. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, there's some middle ground. It hasn't been explored, and I think that's the point here, right?
2: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, um, you've you've been involved in. Uh, what's become more popular recently, which is including women's voices in the strength and conditioning industry uh, at things like roundtables and events and conferences. Um, I, I'm sure you enjoy doing it, uh, but to a degree, do you feel like you you have to do it, get involved and, and speak up at um, events that are oriented around, you know, the voices that are that are, you know, less published in our industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm probably one of the one of the only females that hates it from a standpoint is I can't stand when someone says, Oh, she's a great female coach. Yeah. Why can't I just be a coach? Yeah. Why can't I be a strength coach? Like, Oh, the first ever female coaching men's basketball, the first ever female hitting coach, the first ever female, why does it have to be like that? Like, I, I don't know. Mm. I, and I'm probably the only one that can't stand it, but it drives me nuts. Like it, yeah. it absolutely drives me nuts. Yeah. So, I just I didn't want to be a coach. Like I never wanted a job because I had long hair, boobs, and no penis. I, that's not why I wanted, I wanted. I wanted. I didn't want to be a status quo. And back in the day, it was status quo of like, hey, you know, women in minorities encouraged to apply, and that's what it was back in the day. It's basically, saying that we need to hire a female for this position. And yeah. I didn't want a job just because I was a female. Like I want a job because I'm a good coach. You yeah. In in a lot of this. Tom Fleury stuff that goes on that this, the medium shirts, the head of other strength coaches, like, like other athletes and, you know, and football and doing jackassery on the sidelines, like grow up. Like, I think that gives our profession a bad name, you know? Yeah. And if a female went out and did that, it, it'd be all over, you know? Yeah. Like, So I, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Like, it's a catch 22 for me. It's a catch 22. Like, I just want to be known as a coach. Like, you know, I can, I can, squat 550, bench 425, and and pull 500. I can, I'm can i stronger than half half strength coaches that are out there or even guys that are out there. Like, it's just, I don't know. Why does it matter? Like, I
2: don't know.
0: Yeah. I, I've i experienced the cash 22 on, on my side of things, which is, you know, we like to spotlight and, and talk to coaches using our platform, Team Builder, which is not a big platform. And, um, you know, it, it struck me one time when we were making a list, right? We were building a list and we were defaulting to men and that kind of struck me that subconsciously when you sit down in a vacuum and you're like i want to build a list of great strength coaches and interview them you kind of default to subconsciously what you think are good strength coaches and it's always been men and that's when i thought it's important to kind of break that thinking up and and we made a list top 10 you know women female strength coaches and then that's a catch twenty two as well because you know then we're getting into list building using the criteria of, of gender, um, and it's a balance. It's a balance. It's it's about being able to think of great coaches, think about including people who you want, uh, in you know whatever you're you're organizing, but doing so with with a clear mind and yeah. not kind of defaulting to one or the other. Um, so I've, I've had my own experience, own experiences about how to to kind of break down some of these subconscious, you know, uh, you know preconceptions.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and a lot of times too, like great strength coaches, whether it's male or female, they get picked from most of the time, like from the college of power five schools. There's some really good strength coaches in high schools, whether male or female, like I can name a bunch of great strength coaches that are in high schools and not in college, but sometimes the college, college is where it gets showcased. Um, you know, like, cause you're in the spotlight type thing, mm-hmm. or you're, you're, you know, spotlight because you're, you're with a certain sport, you know, it's, and it's like, why are we any less of a coach? Like one of my best coaches, Gavin, he's got volleyball, beach volleyball, and swimming. He's a, he's a phenomenal strength coach, but it's because he's with beach volleyball, volleyball, and swimming and not, I mean, swim is, is a big sport at ASU Mm -hmm. because of Bob Bowman and everything, but it's not one of your traditional sports. It's not like basketball's highlighted and football's highlighted and it's, and that's just, just the way it is in our profession. It's, you don't get highlighted because when you're with sports that quote, quote unquote, aren't in the, the limelight,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, I think it's a good framework at the moment to, to be more conscious of including, um, you know, a uh, more diverse folks in things like conferences, panels, and round tables, but then letting them speak for themselves as the professionals that they are, and not necessarily carrying over the framework into, you know, identifying them by by being a minority or so on, um, and I think that's productive. I, I think it is, and I think most companies are coming around to it. Play, for instance, is, is doing a good job at at uh, playing a role in that. Um, I wanted to go somewhere, but I forgot. Oh, I know what it was. Um, every once in a while, you're, you'll hear a coach and, um, you know, they'll say on Twitter or whatever that sports performance, strength and conditioning is a very new industry. It's not centuries old. Uh, it's more like decades old, which means that there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot to be discovered. Um, as you mentioned, technology has been coming out like, you know, crazy recently. It's not the answer, right? Team Builder's not the answer the VBT devices, so on and so on. But in, in, if someone were to tell you that and, and ask you, you know, for your perspective on it, the strength and conditioning industry is young. There's a lot more to learn. Where do you think that leads into as far as the future of the industry uh, from a pra- from a practice standpoint, pra- practicing?
1: I think from a practice standpoint, like, you have to have both. I think you have to have the practical hands-on coach's eye of seeing and understanding and being able to have a conversation, talk to athletes, look and see, you know, I, I could, you know, there's so many different technologies out there, but me, because I've been in it for so long, I can look at a kid and tell you when they jump, if they're leaning with their right, leaning with their left, okay, jump jump on the the Hawkins plate and we'll, you know, validate that. Okay, yeah, I'm right, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think so many people now rely on it. Like, Team Builder, I love. Like, I love the app because I think that makes our life – a thousand times easier having that technology piece and having the data right there, having the programming right there, being able to go in and change exercises for an athlete. And we live in a litigious world. Okay. So the data stays there and I can go back, you know, and say, okay, this kid's coming back and saying, well, they hurt themselves in the weight room. Okay. I'm going to look back at their workout instead of having to look through boxes and boxes of, you know, old cards and stuff. It's right there on an app and it's right there. And, you know, in the software, um, I think where we get in trouble is with some of it is with some of these coaches with the, um, load management, heart rate management. And when coaches don't think their kids are working hard enough. Well, my kid's not working hard enough. Like his heart rate's not up, you know? And sometimes it's it's the education piece and and you got to understand it's not always going to be an exact science. Um, and that's where I think we get in trouble.
0: So education, it's- in some ways it's communication, like emotional intelligence. There's a, a lot of ways to, to- to, to talk about that, perhaps in a way that's the future of the profession is it's not just your skills as a practicing strength coach on the floor, but perhaps how you manage the program in terms of how you communicate and interact with the other stakeholders in a program. Is that where the industry has room to grow in your opinion?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's having you know, being able to sit down and have a conversation and, you know, especially at a power five school may not happen that, you know, some of your smaller schools where you have less of a staff or a smaller staff than, than what we have. But if you have one or two sports in all reality, you should be able to sit down and have a conversation where all your coaches are in the room, your athletic trainers in the room, your strength coaches in the room, and you can actually have dialogue and a great conversation about every single individual athlete. Um, You know, when I was at Boston college way back there was, we had 40 sports and there was three strength coaches and it was like, we were just strength coaches. We didn't do any of the speed stuff with the exception of football and maybe got into a little bit of basketball. But back then we were just in the weight room, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, you had know, a different team, every single hour kind of thing. Mm. Now it's like, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm almost bored to some degree. Like, cause I have hockey and soccer and I do a lot with those, but like my mind is like, you know, if I don't, if I'm not sitting in my office at my desk. Like if I have swimming out on the floor or track out, the floor, I'm going to go out and help those guys and help coach. Cause I want to coach. Yeah. Uh, it's just different. It's just different mindset, different mindset. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, you know, I think it's going to involve, I think it's going to be, um, that we need to grow. The profession still does need to grow. It's, it is yes, new, but it, the funny thing is, is all the, all the training styles and training techniques come full circle. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you know, Olympic, it was Olympic lifting for a while and it was fun, the word, to hate functional training for a while. Then it's come back to, you know, hey, everyone's putting a barbell in their hand and hey, everyone's tempo, you know, and it just it, everything comes full circle back around and someone has to rename it something else. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It's funny. It's funny.
0: Yeah. Because, because you're out of college, you know, we're recruiting as a, a big part of your uh you know, your your success as a program. H- have you seen yourself play a, a bigger role in recruiting um in that aspect? Is is that something you're involved in?
1: Yeah, um I'll always meet with the recruits, whether it's um, you know, the sports I'm involved with, soccer, um, soccer mm-hmm. and hockey and kind of explain what we do, why we do. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not a bells and whistles person. Like we have a couple couple things, you know, a couple technologies and we're getting better. ASU, I always laugh. ASU is the number one in innovation and technology. And when I first got back here, I'm like, uh, we have nothing for innovation or technology in the weight room. It's since grown. We've got a force plate. We've got, you know, um, gym wares and things like that. But, um, you know, we have room to grow. Um, and the hard thing with recruits right now is some recruits just go to schools based on what their lu check is going to be like, how much money they're getting or, you know, the size of the weight room or the team room or, you know, sometimes some of these recruits don't even care about the the little things that matter until they get there and they realize, oh, I should have asked about this, this, and this, you know, training
0: It's referred to the arms race. You see it like with facilities being built. Of course, they're beautiful facilities, but it's things like, you know, have lockers that convert into like little napping chambers or building a slide in there. Um, Yeah, that's a slippery slope in my opinion, because there's rich schools and there's poor schools. And uh, of course you don't want to tell schools if they have the money not to do things like that, but it kind of puts other schools in a predicament, right?
1: Definitely does. It definitely does. You know, it's, um, it's, it's hard, and it is hard to recruit, but at the same time, do you really want the kid that all that they care about is the, you know, what they get, you know, in terms of, yeah. like, their check or their, you know, whatever, whatever it, what they're looking for, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, last question, and we'll get out of here. Um, how do you see your role within like the governing, the governing bodies, the organizations that organize the profession, NSCA CSCCA, NHSSCA, SCA, um, are, are you involved? Do you feel like you, you have to be involved and do you encourage other coaches to get involved? Do you feel like it's an important part of our, uh, our industry?
1: A hundred percent. I think it's um, important to become involved in those, in those organizations. As a high school strength coach, a hundred percent. I think it's the way they do things is unbelievable the national high school organization. They, like I said earlier, rich gray and and Gary Schoolfield and that whole crew, they do a phenomenal job with that. Um, and they do a phenomenal job with educating and reaching out and giving back to the organization or giving back to people within the organization. It's, it truly is a family. And that is one organization that I will say is, um, is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the NSCA, I think, is trying to get back to do some good things. Um, you know, Scott Caulfield, I love Scott. You left. Um, and Eric Mann, you know, has been taken over. And I think I think they're going to start doing some really good things um, for the profession. CSCCA. Um,
0: it's an interesting organization. Uh,
1: yeah, it, it is. I mean, I think that the thought process is 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 there what they wanted to do. Um, you know, I have an issue with them because in the beginning, what they said they were going to do as an organization, I was there in 2001, taking the first 2000s when they started and in the beginning. And then I got out and went to high school and in the private sector. And then I, all of a sudden I was less of a coach and didn't really matter. And they didn't really care. But then mm-hmm. I got back in they're like, Oh, you're back in, you know, we, mm-hmm. want your, we want your opinion, your voice and all that. So um, I, I don't, I don't want to sound, Talk bad about them or anything. I just, it's a different view of opinions and different view of, um, you know, what they've done for, for the profession. Um, and I hope they can do more. I hope it's going to change. I really, yeah. Do. what
0: What is that? I mean, I know the NSCA is really big in integrating the academic and research aspects of sports performance or performance in general. But what's kind of the primary purpose of the CSCCA?
1: Mm, See how much you can bench squat and deadlift when you go to the conference in May. (laughs)
0: I'm dead. I'm dead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's, that's bad of me to say, well, it isn't, it isn't, Um, you know, I mean, there's some really good people in the, in, in that organization. And and I know a lot of people, but um, yeah, I just, and I do think they, the reason why they separated from what I understand is they want to separate because they wanted to create something that, that NSCA wasn't doing was create an organization just for strength coaches. So the idea mm-hmm. was there. The, the idea, that, but who actually did it was the, the NHS, the National
0: High School the, and, Nash, Yeah, <laughs> NHS, I a lot. I've had a lot of practice. I'm good at it by now. <laughs>
1: you have a lot of practice with that. Um, that that's who organize it and put it together. It, it, honestly, if the CSCCA could follow what they're doing, it, mm. they'd, be, they'd be golden. You know, yeah. it, it, it's got to be more than just. It's got to be about people. It's got to be about the profession and growing the profession, um, and growing the organization too. But but I think you grow your organization when you help grow the people that are in your organization. And I yeah. don't think I don't think they've done they've done enough of that. You know, I, I understand, like I said, why they separated out. You know, and it's it the thought process, the intentions. I would say were good in the beginning, but I think it just. Changed. Um,
0: does the CSCCA have a seat at the table when it comes to say the NCAA? I mean, uh, d- nobody
1: really does. NCAA no. NCAA, no, no one does. There, there's not even a strength coach on. I don't even think any of their. Um,
2: yeah.
1: Goals at the NCAA and, and there should be, and there absolutely should be because, because we're the ones that are dealing with kids every single day. You know, yeah, for the athletic trainer, the athletic trainer sees a select few of kids select few. They see the injured ones as a strength yeah. coach we have more touches with those kids every day than, than their coaches do. And even the
0: yeah.
1: trainer, trainer does
0: um, the, the NCAA that's a podcast in and of itself. I should probably have an attorney on for that one. It's, I think the NCAA just, if you look at it from a big perspective, it's an interesting organization. It has a lot of autonomy over amateur athletics yes. and um, it kind of operates on its own. And I think it makes a lot of decisions very arbitrarily. Um, it's kind of bizarre uh, in my opinion. Um yeah, that, that, one's, that one's interesting. I just remember when I was a collegiate athlete myself, you had the meeting, right, where you sit down as a team and the compliance person walks in and goes over everything. And, uh, you know, it makes you, if you start asking questions, you start thinking to yourself, well, I know this is an organized body for amateur sport, but they really seem like they have their hands in a lot of things. And who's looking after these guys? And who are these people and anyway? You know, that's kind of the questions I had back then.
1: Yeah, some of the, some of the rules regulations like don't make sense, and Mm-mm. others there I'm like, okay, where are you guys at? You're supposed to help and you know keep things from happening, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, well, crazy.
0: Well, look, fantastic discussion. Was this anything that you thought it would be? I mean, I, I thought we could have gotten into your competitive power listing career, but I've done that before. I did it with J.L. Holdsworth and he didn't yep. seem all too interested in, in getting into it. He basically told me, you know, that the athletes and coaches I influence they, they don't listen to me because of, of what I did for that. You know, there's other reasons for it. Is that your, your, the same experience for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, to some degree. So I got into it way back in to compete because it was just a way for me to say, okay, I know what I'm doing. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah, I know I'm a female, but I, I like, I can do all this stuff. I go in the weight room. I do it every single day. I'm at a high mm-hmm. level. Um, now it kind of hurts me to some degree because, I, you know, even coming back to ASU and interviewing with some, some of the coaches, you're like, we don't want a power lifter training our kids. Yeah, Like, I'm like I'm not training your kids like like <laughs> training myself it's completely I'm not
0: lifting with them <laughs> like
1: I'm not lifting with them I'm not making them do your kids couldn't do the workouts that I do so <laughs> <laughs> it's not it has nothing to do yeah. with it's it's something for me it's my hobby but it also helped me get into the profession and and learn about you know different things like I would never do a workout with I would never give a workout to an athlete without doing it first, you know, a a way for me to, to learn, especially early in my career, um, become, you know, and become a little more, you know, notarized because of that, because again, being a female, you had to to somehow set yourself apart and how do you do that? So picking up Atlas stones, pulling a plane, you know, doing strongman for a few years and going to world's strongest woman and competing in 14 national championships. And, you know, numerous worlds and all that. Like, you know, that yeah. to me, to me helps because now I can relate to a student athlete who's under pressure because I understand competition mm. at a high level. So yeah. I, I think it helps a lot more than just the, the act of picking things up, putting them down.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth noting, you know, JL Holdsworth had a very short powerlifting career, very successful, but short uh, due to an injury. But you've done it for a very long time. It's very impressive. If you think about a collegiate career—it's four years, you know. If they're lucky, um, think about people who compete in the Olympics—they maybe do one or two Olympics and they're done. So you've—you've you've been doing this for a long time. That—that that itself is a testimony, not just the success but the, the longevity.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. Like you know, I, I retired in 2018 after my last last meet, um, and I'm actually kind of itching to get back on the platform. Really. If my shoulder can handle it. Yeah. I had surgery eight months ago on my shoulder and I'm kind of bone on bone. Um, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Did
0: anything replace competition? Did you like pick up a new hobby or learn a new language or what, what no, happened then?
1: I just started working. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I rescued another dog.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> there, there you go. go.
1: Um, no, yeah. no. Um, no, I mean, I like to ski, but being in Arizona, can't really ski unless you go up to Flagstaff, drive up a couple hours, and during hockey season, it's a little tough. But um, yeah,
0: well, you're welcome to come visit me. I, I I moved recently. I built my business, Team Builder, in Washington, D.C., for 10 years. And when COVID hit and no one came to the office, I said, well, I'm going to go ski because I don't really get to do this very often.
1: Now, where are you at now?
0: Uh, Breckenridge, Colorado.
1: You are. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I
0: live, live here full time. And, you know, I went from. A place that i knew very well and where i knew a lot of people to a small mountain town it's kind of different of course i get to do some fun things outside but i kind of miss my my people my friends and so on so everyone i talk to like hey are you interested in maybe skiing <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's awesome that's i i miss because i lived in reno and my husband and i used to go ski all the time you know being there and then um living back in massachusetts we had a condo up at okimo and skied all the time and so yeah
0: wow cool
1: I definitely I definitely miss it. definitely miss it.
0: Well, there's uh, worse places to be than Phoenix. Um, i I take a trip out to Phoenix. Yeah, I visited Gavin and your staff. remember? Yep. Yep. Um, you know, pre-COvid and just a lot of sun, and uh, it, there's some good things there. Yeah, you know, that's a yep. good place to be. There
1: is there definitely is.
2: there definitely is.
0: Yeah. well good. Well, we'll wrap up here. Uh, your information, I'll post uh, to the show notes. Uh, people can reach out. And, um, yeah, look, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well,
1: thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the team builder podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is Hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.